Alrighty. Apparently it's not that exciting that Jesus rose from the dead. It's very exciting. How many of you think it's very exciting that Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay exciting, but it'd be more exciting if I got a raise. Jesus, help us. All right. Um, Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And um, thank you, Lord. It's a good day. Thank you, Jesus. You ready? When you stand, let's pray together. Holy, thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that it is a wonderful day to remind the devil that he is a loser and that Jesus is king and Jesus is alive and we believe in it, Lord. We believe in it, Lord, that you are life and your glory and all power and dominion exists in you. We believe, oh God, that you are seated high above and that your name, Lord, is above every other name and every other power. And we don't believe in any other power. We don't believe, Lord, in the things that would intimidate us, in the things that would come against your will, in the things, God, that challenge your supremacy on this earth. No, Lord, in Jesus' name, we declare that you are the victor, you are the king. You have won, and you have overtaken death and the grave, all forms of darkness, all forms of sin, all forms of evil, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your victory, and we declare it in Jesus' name. Today, everywhere around this country, everywhere around this country where the devil lies and he steals and he kills and he destroys and he accuses and he perverts and he corrupts, we come against it in the name of Jesus because we declare that Jesus is king. And every lie, every lie be silenced in Jesus' name. Every lie be silenced in the name of Jesus. Every lie be silenced in the name of Jesus. We know that Jesus is king and we know that Jesus is alive and we know that Jesus reigns now and forevermore. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive. We thank you that you are seated high above. We thank you that you have overcome all things. We thank you that there is no name, there is no other name for us to call upon. We are so grateful to be Christians, so grateful to know you, so grateful, Lord, to know the righteousness of your ways, so grateful, God, to step into who you are and what you've called us to be. Oh, Lord, it's a great joy. It's a great joy, oh God. It's a great joy, Lord. It's a great joy, Lord. We thank you. Oh, so excited. So gloriously grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I've got to be quick today. Because um, uh, I have my flights early today, but also because we want to. Uh, Emily's going to lead us in some worship after this, as is appropriate every day, but especially in Easter. Colossians chapter 2. Are you ready? For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, 
to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Woo, that is good. But Paul says that it's a struggle for him. It is a struggle for him to minister to the church at Colossae and to the church at Laodicea. And he is struggling for them. And I, uh, despite the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, I think you know that like, there are certain things in life that are a struggle. And building the church and having victory in God is a struggle. It's a struggle that Paul experienced. It's a struggle that we continue to experience today. God, I, would, I, would, I always think that I would love it if life were easy. You know, you call upon Jesus and all your problems disappear. You know, you call upon Jesus and, and there's your new job and there's your new wife and, you know, there are your new kids and there's your new minivan and, you know, off you go to a upper middle income life and, you know, no problems, no fears, no nightmares, no snakes in your garden, <laughs> no mosquitoes coming through your door. But Paul says that it's a struggle. It's a great struggle. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face. The fact that it's a struggle does not mean that Jesus is not king. It does not mean that he has not overcome. It means that he has given us an opportunity to walk out the same victory that he has. And uh, you may not be grateful for the struggle, you know, when you're addicted to something and you want to get out, you know, when you feel poor and there's no way to, to, to make enough money for yourself. Like, you, you may not feel like, you know, oh, I love this struggle. This is a wonderful struggle. This is a, this is a good thing that I get to struggle. You may not feel that way, but it, it's, um, it's the blessing of the Lord that we get to experience because in the struggle we get to experience this victory. And I, I feel like there's something about the victory of Jesus where he doesn't just want us to take it as a theological fact and, you know, that we sing about and have murals and stained glass, you know. It's, it's not just the sort of thing where he's like, okay, well, accept that I've won. That's true. But I think that he wants to experience his victory. And I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you'd like to experience this victory. I don't know if that's of any interest to you to experience this victory. But to me, it is of great interest to experience this victory. And in order to experience this victory, you have to have, you know, you, you, somebody needs to be playing the game against you. Um, if you play um, uh, really any sport, um, you know, basketball, for instance, uh, which, which I played when I was a kid, or soccer, and you kick the, goal, like, the ball into the enemy net and there's, there's no goalkeeper, how does, that, how does that feel? You feel like, this, I'm, I'm just, I'm such a, I'm so awesome. Of course you don't feel so awesome. You feel like, this is lame. You know, get me somebody to play against. Um, and it's the same way in life. Uh, and it's the same way in ministry. It's the same way in everything that you do. Jesus is, is, is victor. There's no doubt about that. Oh, okay, to me, there's no doubt about that. But in life, you may begin to doubt it when you experience the struggle. But I want to tell you that like, the struggle is part of your understanding of how victorious he is. Because he gives you victory in the struggle. He gives you victory in the struggle. There are times, you know, um, uh, I, 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 I often like to remember how foolish I was um, because um, it just helps, you know. And then I think, oh God, how foolish must I be today? Because tomorrow I'll think about today and be like, wow, you were so foolish then. But I was so foolish when I was young. And I thought that, um, I really thought that, you know, if we just showed up on the scene with the presence of the Lord, you know, Jesus is with me, who can be against me? You just show up and, and everybody, you know, the, the seas part and, and victory is won and everybody wants the king. Who doesn't want Jesus? You know, everybody wants him. And, and then there you go. <laughs> you know, you have your revival, you know, you wash your hands, you go and you eat your pizza. Like, like you know, it's, it's just that easy. But it's not. 
And, and it's, it's not, and the fact that it's not does not in any way compromise the fact that Jesus is not one. He's one. Um, the reason that it's not is that he wants you to experience the same victory that he experienced. And, and that requires that you actually know the struggle. So it's not a bad thing to know the struggle, you know? What is Paul's struggle? Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The end of this verse and the beginning of verse three is something that um, we probably don't quite understand. Uh, um, I, well, I'm confident we don't quite understand. The riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Okay, I know that we don't understand that fully. Okay, just no doubt. But, um, but at least... You know, what Paul is saying is that like everything is available in Jesus, which, hey, hey, hallelujah, okay, I, I'm good with that. The, the middle part of this is the part that's really interesting to me. What is Paul's struggle? And this is a real struggle. You can just look at yourself and be like, struggle. You don't have to do that. And you look at the person next to you and be like, this is a struggle. Okay, what is his struggle? His struggle is that the people of God would be knit together in love. That's the struggle that he's facing, or at least in this verse, that's what he's talking about. There's other struggles. There's struggles outside the church. There's struggles against demons and principalities. There's, there's those sorts of struggles too. But his struggle, the, the, the struggle that he has, the war that he is waging, is to knit together the people of God in love, not in righteousness, not in excellence, not in fairness, not, not, not in success. He wants to knit together the hearts of the people of God in love. That's a real struggle. But it's also a very important step in coming into the fullness of Christ. I'm not talking about the soul ties today. But what he's talking about right here is, is what um, people call soul ties, which can be spirit ties, but they're, but they're soul ties. There's something that God has actually created, a form, a, a depth of relationship. This is not what I'm talking about today, but I just want you to understand what Paul's talking about so that we can move on. There's a form of, of relationship that God has created where people can actually be knit together in, in something that's deeper than, than, um, than just, you know, sort of physical, like, normal friendship. And it's called a soul tie, which is woven all throughout Scripture. There's lots of, lots of references and teachings to it. There's no reason to, to, to go into it today. But for, for most people that don't know God, the deepest intimacy and relationship that you can experience is physical intimacy. Do you know? Where... The Bible says between a man and, and, and his wife, as the Bible says, and the two shall become one flesh. And there's a knitting of flesh that like, exists in marriage. And also when you hug someone, although that's a different thing, but like, you know, when you hug someone and, and when you hold hands, and, but there's, like, there's physical contact like, between people that is, that is intimacy. Does that make any sense? But there's also a much deeper form of intimacy. And I'll, and I'll tell you why this is really important in a moment. But there's a deeper form, because this is part of how the church comes into what it's supposed to be. There's a deeper form of intimacy where people are knit together in their souls. As First Samuel, I think, 17 says, that Jonathan and David's souls were actually knit together when they became friends. And it's a very powerful thing. Again, not something we're going to talk about today, but it's what Paul's talking about. That he desires for the hearts, which is, your heart is part of yourself, the souls of the people in their churches to be knit together in love. And there's something about this that, 
it's an experience that I hope you really desire because there's a lot of people in our culture that desire to be the rock star, you know, that desire to be like greater and higher than everybody else. Do you know that, 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 that that's not God's will for you and I? It's not to be a rock star. It's not to be better than everybody. Um, it's to experience a type of intimacy and, and relationship that, that brings about a, a sense of fulfillment and contentment in you. you. You don't get any fulfillment by being a rock star. There, there is none. It, success is just as empty as, as empty is. It, 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 like in the moment, you may feel like, oh, I'm better than everybody else. But like, come on. Like how many of you are still looking at the trophies you won when you were in fourth grade and you, you know, got a gold in the spelling bee? Like, does that give you joy? Of course it doesn't give you joy, but you remember the best friend you had. You know, you remember the kindness that people showed you. You remember when they invited you to play kickball, even though you were really bad at it. Like, you, you remember those things because that's what gives us fulfillment. And there is something about this that is really, really powerful because God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are knit together in something, in a mystery, a mystical, mysterious union that, like, we can't, there's no theology that explains, like, what is going on there. Do you, do you understand? But they're knit together in something that is far more profound than anything that we've experienced. And it's that, that knitting together of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that like, it's the greatest mystery in the universe, and it's the greatest riches like, in the universe, do you know? And in the church, hello, this is the struggle. In the church, God has given us an opportunity to knit together, not, I mean, not in the same way, but like, you know, headed in that direction, at least. Yeah, I don't, at least I don't think it's the same way. Maybe it is the same way. I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, what do I know? Like, you know but, but to be knit together in like something deeper than your flesh, like something deeper than holding hands and giving hugs, and like something deeper, you know, than, than that. To be knit together in your soul in a way that like you're just like, we are together the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are to, like, they're together, do you know? They're together. And, and this is his struggle. And, and here's the thing. The Paul says that, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You can't understand him until you become knit together with others. In order to reach a full understanding, which, by the way, is a crazy thing. Like, if you told me that you could have a full understanding of the mysteries of Christ, I'd be like, no way. Like, you know, I'd be like, what I understand about Jesus is a grain of sand in the sands of the universe. Like, it's just a grain of sand in the sands of the universe. Uh, that's what I understand about Christ. But Paul says that being knit together, you can reach a full assurance, a full understanding, a full knowledge of the mysteries of God that are in Christ. There are plenty of things you'll never reach on your own, no matter how extraordinary of a person you are. No matter what a great ministry you have, you can be Billy Graham and you'll never understand the fullness of the mysteries of Christ until you become knit together with the church in his love. This is a mystery that in the time together that you have greater access to who he is and what he's like. This is a mystery and, and it's a struggle. Struggle. I say this for, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this, Paul says, so that no one may fool you into thinking that there's something more important than living in his love. Being right, it's not more important. Being better, it's not more important. 
Being rich, not more important. Being successful, it's not more important. That, that being like, not, it's not more important. Having people on your side is not more important. Winning arguments, not more important. I, Paul, I say this so you would understand that, that there's nothing that compares to the work that God is doing in, in the church, in your life. There's nothing that compares to the work that God is doing, knitting your hearts together with other people in love. For most people in this room, there's probably at least one person. If there's not, then, then we'll give you a hug afterwards. But there's probably at least one person on this earth that you feel like your heart is just like knit together to theirs, like in love. Again, if there's not, listen, I understand loneliness. We'll give you a hug afterwards. There'll be a hugging team to give you a hug afterwards. Again, hugging, not as good, but you know, consolation prize. Um, But I hope that you know what it means to be knit together with someone in love, that you enjoy spending time with them, that you would share everything you have with them, that you can talk about anything, that there's nothing you're ashamed of. Does that like, make any sense? That like, when they like, reach a new height in God or in life or like, something, there's no jealousy. There's no like, it didn't happen to me. You know, there's no jealousy. There's no like, and when you fail, there's no, like, there's no reluctance to admit it. You're just like, you're just like you know, knit together in love. You're, just, you're knit together in love. And you may think that like, for most people, this person would be like their spouse. Not necessarily. Like, not necessarily. And, and even if you have a spouse, it's not like the, God's goal is not that you would have one person you'd be like knit together. But like, but Paul says the whole church that you, can, that you can actually be tied together. Do you know? The Bible says that a rope with three strands is not easily broken. There's you, there's the other person, there's the Holy Ghost. And that's a pretty profound thing. A, a, a rope with one strand is pretty easily broken. Uh, this is true, but I don't know if you've ever studied ropes or looked at ropes. or um, I, I haven't. But when I was young, my dad liked to fish a lot. And I noticed that like, the, um, the, all the fishing um, string, I forget what it's called, um, that, that is designed to catch big fish, like, for the most part, it's not thicker. It's like thin strands. They're just woven together because it's stronger than, um, than one thick strand. And uh, it, which I don't, I don't, again, I don't understand. Some, I'm sure somebody does. I'm, I'm sure somebody was a Boy Scout here. This is why we have to be knit together in love. See, I don't understand a lot of things. Um, but uh, but th- it's profoundly strong. So you and one other person, the Holy Ghost, being knit together in a, in, a, in a cord with three strands is not easily broken. That's what keeps you firm in life. That's what keeps you strong. That's what keeps you stable. It gives you meaning and fulfillment. And it's a very powerful thing, which I'll explain to you when I talk about soul ties, which is not today. Maybe it'll be today. We'll see. I don't even know how this is going to go. But I got to, okay, got to finish here. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That's a pretty astounding thing that he just said, which it's easy to gloss over, like when you're just reading it. Though I am absent in body, I'm with you in spirit. So Paul's not there, but his spirit is there. Of course, we don't believe that. We think that's just occultic, but that Paul says that he, anyways, okay. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How do you stay rooted in the faith? Abound in thanksgiving. The more you have to be thankful for, the more likely it is that you are to be stable in your faith. The less you have to be thankful for, the less likely you are to stay rooted in the faith. Pretty much everybody that goes off in a serious way in their life, goes off when they stop being thankful. All right, then. Keep going. That didn't bounce right off. (laughs) 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That is a verse about spiritual warfare, which we're not talking about today because we're moving on. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is ahead of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Boom! Wow, what a great victory! There's not as much excitement as I thought. Lord, do you know on the golf course where Tiger Wolf, uh, what's his name? To Tiger Woods. I thought I was going to say Wolf. <laughs> thought no good, no good. Woods hits into the hole. People cheer and shout. This is like, in church, you talk about what Jesus did and everybody's like, mm-hmm. okay then. Oh, Lord. In him, you were buried. And in him you were raised. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. If you are here today and there is something in your heart that doubts the forgiveness of God, if there is something that you are ashamed of, there's no better day than than Easter Sunday to get rid of that. Because the Bible says that when Jesus is nailed to the cross, that all of your trespasses were nailed there with him. And he was raised from the dead. God didn't just raise him from the dead, he raised you from the dead. And that he forgave each and every single one of the trespasses. That time that you were cruel, that time where you were immoral, the time where you stole, the time where you lied, the time where you defrauded, the time where you cheated, the time where you signed your life over to Satan, the time where you spat on God and blasphemed him. God has forgiven each and every single one of those trespasses. And he's done it a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand times over. You may have to walk out the forgiveness and the restoration, the sanctification. You may have to walk it out, but it does not change the fact, it does not change the fact that forgiveness of Every single trespass is available today in God. And any condemnation that you place upon yourself, we're not talking about conviction. Conviction is the Lord. You need some. But any condemnation that you place upon your own life, that's you. That ain't God. Your sins were nailed to the cross with him. Yeah, it's time to walk that out. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, okay. And I read all of that to get to, and I'm almost out of time, to get to verse 15. Because this is, I need you to believe this. So I want you to believe this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I just love that. That he won over every power, over every principality, over every... Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, no, 
Sorry? Yes, in Ephesians chapter 4, but in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that everywhere we go, Christ leads us in triumphant, uh, triumphant procession. And we spread the fragrance of him everywhere we go. This is, like, pretty incredible. Because, you know, like, when you go out and you, like, you know, try to evangelize, and nobody wants to take your track, and no one wants to hear your, your, uh, your you know, you want, no one wants to hear your story, no one wants to listen to your testament, no one wants you to pray for them. You don't feel like you're walking in triumphant procession, do you? You don't, you don't feel like a triumphant procession in, um, in Roman times, you probably know this, um, in Roman times, when the general would win a war, they would go back to Rome, and they would march through the streets with their army, and they would march through the streets with, with, with either the slaves that they captured, or the goods of their enemies, and they would just, and everybody would gather, and they would cheer, and they would applaud, and I mean, it would just be, it's a victory lap you know, where they demonstrate how great they are and how terrible their, their enemy is. Well, Paul says that everywhere we go, Christ is leading us in a victory lap where he's showing off to the entire world how great he is and how stupid and foolish and, and powerless the enemy is. But you don't necessarily feel like that, you know? And Paul didn't necessarily always feel like that. Not all of his ministry was successful. He got thrown out of places. He got stoned. He got dumped. He got, like, you know, bit by snakes. I mean, he got shipwrecked. He got beaten. It doesn't, but that's his confession. His, Paul says, listen, everywhere where I go, Christ is leading me in, in a victorious procession. The fragrance of Christ from life to life to those who are, who are being saved, to death from death to death, to those who are perishing. But everywhere I go, he's just, Christ is victorious, and I'm just, you know, marching in the march behind him. You know, one of the people that, yeah, but I'm part of the victory. And you just don't feel like that all the time. But it is his confession. It is his confession that Jesus won once and for all, and that you and I live in his victory. You may not see it, but you live in his victory. The reason that you may not see it is because his victory is in the spirit. It's not in this world. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, are you a king? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Do you know? But in the spirit, which the world that you can't see, the world that is far more real than this one, the world that governs everything that happens here, he is totally and utterly victorious. And this verse that I love so much, because today if you have any fear of the enemy, if you have any fear of what he can do to you, if you have any fear that your life or your calling or who you are could be stolen from you or taken away from you, I want you to just read this and memorize this verse and remember it. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. He marched them naked through the streets showing that he is total and complete dominance and they have nothing on him and they have nothing on you by triumphing over them in him. He didn't destroy them. He didn't kill them. He just showed the entire universe, angels, demons, everybody, that he's the victor and everybody is supposed to him is a loser. <laughs> like, I just, I love that. You know? I love that. He disarmed rulers and authorities. But he, you know, let them hang out and st because so that we can also laugh at them and mock them and be like, ha loser, Jesus won. You have no fear. He disarmed them. Every weapon they have is gone. It's gone. I want to tell you a few stories. This is not about God's ability to protect you as much as it is about the fact that you are totally and absolutely victorious in Christ, which is what we're celebrating today. And then I was supposed to read another passage and not no time for that. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll just do this and then, we'll, and then we'll close here. Years ago, Bobby Connor was a, um, was, was a pastor uh, in Texas 
and he was he was pastoring a small church in in, in rural Texas. And one day he gets a phone call, and I, I don't think it's somebody from his church. And the the woman on the phone was 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 just you know was was really afraid and 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 just you know really anxious and said, Pastor, Pastor, something's happened. Something's happened out in this wood. You know this 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 area is like far off on a farm somewhere. And she said, You have to get out here. You have to get out here. And so Bobby's at the church office, and and, and he has no idea what's happened. And and so he runs out into his truck and he starts driving down the road. And 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 it's it's you know a decent distance away from his church, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and so he's driving there. He has no idea what to expect. He's just been called out there by, you know, by a woman's church. So this driving down the road and, and he's, you know, driving down in his truck and, and he's like, oh Lord, you know, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What do I expect? And then all of a sudden in open vision, the front of his, his, his truck disappears and, and he sees a movie, a movie screen and said, and then the movie screen, he sees himself drive in his truck, bird's eye view, driving down the road, the very road that he was on right there. And then he saw himself turn and then he saw, saw himself turn again, and he saw how dust was kicked up when he turned. He saw the road that he was turning on the entire thing, like just, and then he turned, and then he turned again, and then he, and then he drove down a little bit more, a few more minutes, and then he saw himself stop the truck, and he saw himself get out of the truck, and he saw on the side of the road there was a red SUV that was, uh, I think, flipped over, and there was a man inside who was dead, who, um, and there was a, an AR-15, which is a rifle. Um, sticking out of the front windshield. It, it went through the windshield and he'd been shot and he'd been killed. And he saw himself get out of his truck to go over to, to investigate and to try to help to pull the man out of, out of the truck. And he saw that as he did that, somebody, um, a, a, a different man, um, came silently behind him and pointed a, a shotgun at his head, at the back of his head while he was trying to help this man and shot him and blood flew everywhere and he fell down on the ground um, and he was bleeding out dying. Um, and then um, he saw the police pull up all around. The police got there right after he was killed. And um, the police got up there and pulled it all around. And they surrounded the man, the man who shot him um, and, uh, and, and, and arrested him. And the vision ended. And, um, which is not a great vision when you see yourself dying that way. Uh, and the vision ended. And, he showed, um, and, and so, and so as, when the vision ended, he got to the turn that he saw himself turning in the, in the, in the vision. So he got to the turn. And, and he made the turn, and it was exactly like it happened in the vision. And then he drove down the road, and he saw the other turn, and he made the turn. It was exactly like it was in the vision. And then he drove down the street, and he could see the, 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 um, the red SUV on the other side of the road. It was flipped over. It's exactly like it was in the vision. And he gets there, and he stops a truck exactly where he stopped in the vision. And he, and, he, and he sees a guy that's been shot with a rifle through the, through the thing, and exactly like it is in the vision. And he gets out of the truck exactly like it is in the vision, knows what's about to happen next. He knows that what happens next is that he goes over to help the man, and he gets, he gets ambushed, and he gets shot and, and killed as he does that. And so he says, Lord, like in, in his mind, he's praying that because like this vision is coming to pass. And he says, Lord, like what, what do I do? And the Lord says, you come against the powers of darkness and you come against it. So he rebukes the, the, the work of the enemy in Jesus' name. And as he's doing that, he's walking over and he hears the guy who's supposed to shoot him come behind him and point a gun at him. And he turns around and the guy has a gun pointed at him and he's ready to shoot him. And he rebukes him in the name of Jesus. The guy drops the gun and he runs off into the woods. And then Bobby goes and he, and he tries to help the guy, like pull, pull, uh, get him out of the truck. And as he's doing that, the police come up, like the police pull up, just like in the vision he saw. The police pull up and they say, get your hands on your head. And so, you know, he's got his hands on his head and the police are ready to shoot him because the police thought that he was the one that shot the guy that he's trying to help. 
And because they, they see the gun, they see you know, all this stuff, they see his truck, they see, I mean, it just looks like he shot him. So the police are getting ready to shoot him. And there's like, you know, they're all the trigger finger, and they're like, oh Lord, save me, save me, save me. And one of the police officers, um, I think, visited his church at some point and recognized him. And, and he said, Pastor? I'm like, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I'll explain, I'll explain. And, and so the police officer's like, guys, this guy's a local pastor. Put your, put your, put your guns down, put your guns down. And so Bobby says, um, he says, well, I got here. I was called out here. I, I got here, and, and oh, this is what happened. I saw the vision of the guy, and then he came trying to shoot me, and I rebuked him. He dropped his gun, and he ran away. Um, and so the police were like, which direction did he run in? And, um, and so they called the paramedics to come get the other guy, and Bobby's like, we ran in that direction. And the police were like, well, let's go hunt him down, you know, because he's a threat to the community. And, 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 and Bobby said, yeah, you guys should go hunt him. And they were like, no, 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 come with us. Come with us because you got the vision. You can, you can help us find him. You know, we don't know what he looks like. You can help us find him. And so, and so Bobby ends up going through the woods with the police to find the guy. And, and he's like, Lord, where is he? Where is he? And, you know, finally the Lord helps him find him. And they bring him in and they arrest him. And what he learned from that is that what he saw in his mind was the scheme of the enemy against him, was the plan of the enemy to kill him. There, that's why he was called out to be ambushed in that situation, trying to help the man. That was the scheme of the enemy. Do you understand? But the enemy has no power over God. He has, he has no power over God. It is the scheme, it is his strategy, it is his, his intention to destroy you, to cancel the call of God upon your life, to create opportunities for trauma, to create opportunities for distress, to create opportunities for pain, to create opportunities for, for, for everything that you can possibly imagine to set you back and throw you off of the track that God has designed for you. Do you, you understand that he has decided to ambush you? He's decided to lure you, to seduce you, to tempt you, to do anything he can to throw you off track of the will of God for your life. But the Bible says that Jesus disarmed the powers and principalities, and took away, you know what disarm means. It means you have a gun and I'm taking it from you. Like, I'm just, I'm not, not that you want me to, I'm just taking it from you. And that's what Jesus did. He looked at their power that they had. And he says, I'm taking this from you and you now in the spirit have no legal right to use this against the people of God. Against the people of God. You have no legal right to use this against the people of God. Like you just... Of course the enemy has a plan for your life. Hello. But if you stay in him and if you'll stay tethered to him and obedient to him, he has no power over you and there's nothing that you can do over you. Oh, God, seven minutes, two stories. There was a, um, a, a church where they were trying to deliver this demonized woman from their church. This is going to be a very short story, but just so you understand. They're trying to deliver this demonized person from their church, and she was full of demons. And sometimes, in the course of deliverance, it took them many months to deliver her. She was living with one of the, um, uh, not, I don't know if it was one of the pastors, but, but it was somebody in the church. She was living there. They intercessors posted 24-7 in the house praying for her because they were trying to get her delivered, and it took months and months and months to do this. But demons would come in and, 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 uh, and, and just you know, fill her body and take control of her body. Well, the demons could not get to the Christians in the spirit because they're being protected by angels and, and everything else. Again, different, same different time. But they're being protected. And so the demon decided that they, that they were going to try to kill the, the, the people in the natural. And so when the demon took over, they would, they would just, the woman would always like run for some weapon or try to grab some weapon to, to kill them with, you know? And, um, and it, like the, <laughs> this one time, um, she went for the, the kitchen knives. And so she's in this house. They're all living in this house together. And there's, there's intercessors. There's a bunch of people playing. She, so she so runs for the kitchen knives. And when she's demonized, she's stronger than, you know, she's very, very strong. 
and uh, and there's you know there's there's guys there and you know they're they're interceding but like but they can't she's faster she's stronger she's she's everything in them and so you know she's like suddenly she's demonized the demon shows up and um fills her body and she starts like bolting for the kitchen for the kitchen they know what she's going after the knives and um, so the guys try to tackle her but they can't because she's faster than them and she's like throws them off and she gets to the knife block and she's ready to pull one out and like just like stab everyone right so she's got the knife and she's got and she's like and the knife doesn't come out of block. It's it just like, it, 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 it's, it's like, it, it, she can't get the knife to move. And she like, she can't, she just, she can't get the knife, she can't get the knife to move. Just, you know, and, and so then she's like trying with both hands and now they're like, they're amused because they're like, and, and so then the, the guys like, you know, regroup. There's, you know, a bunch of them, they come, they, they grab her, they like throw her down back and they, you know, cast a demon out of her. And then after they cast a demon out, they're like, what's wrong with our knives? They go over there and they just, it just comes right out. They put it back in, out, in, out, in. There's no lock. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no latch. There's nothing. They just can't, she can't, she can't, can't get it out. Can't get it out. Um, there's an assassin who tried to kill David Hogan years ago. He was a professional assassin, used to be German um, special forces. And, um, you know, set up his, his rifle across the way, and David Hogan's walking down the alley, and he's fully loaded, and he shoots, and the gun wouldn't shoot. He thinks that he has a problem with his gun. So he takes it, you know, out, and he cleans it, and he puts a bullet back in. He's just like just trying to get the gun to shoot, and it won't shoot. There's a bullet in there. It just won't shoot. And he takes it back. Third time he does it, he says, okay. He's 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 professional sniper, German Special Forces, killed lots of people in war. He says, okay, there's some reason I can't kill this guy. And I got to figure out what it is. So that night he goes to church and he's like, sir, I was hired to kill you. And I couldn't. I tried today. I tried to shoot you three times. I pulled the trigger. The bullet would not come out of my gun. And you have to explain to me why. And he says, oh, well, there's a very, there's a very reasonable explanation for that. In the spirit, you may not see this or know it, but whenever you are with God, there are angels all around you. I, I want those of you who have not read Rebecca Barron's book, He Came to Set the Catches Free, to, especially our members, to read it. Because you need to be aware of the reality of these things. But in the book, the Elaine, who's a woman trying to be delivered, or going to be delivered, talks about a time where a bunch of, of, of them witches were sent to kill this family uh, in L.A., who was, um, who was preaching to evangelizing to um, the satanic cult, and they were bringing people out of the cult into their church. And so they got, the devil got fed up with it, and he sent a bunch of the witches to go and to kill a family. And so they actually projected out of their bodies and their spirits and got to their house, and they were just, you know, a bunch of them were there to very high power, witches were there to kill them. And when they got there, they saw angels standing around the property, all around the property. Angels, no weapons, no armor. They're just, they're just standing there. And um, so the witches are like, you know, they, a lot of them have never seen angels before, and they're, they don't deal with angels, <laughs> you know? And so they, like, they go and, and they try to, you know, attack the angels, and they just bounce off. And all their weapons bounce off, and they bounce off. And the angels look at them, and, and they fall out of the sky, you know? And, um, and they're like, wow, this is, this is, there's a greater power than what we have. And that's the power of God that's available to you. The victory of Jesus means that you need to have total and utter confidence that there is nothing in this world that can harm you, that there is nothing that can come against you, that there is nothing that can stop you from being the person that God has created you to be. 
that you should have absolutely no fear. There's no snake that can bite you. There's no gun that can kill you. There's no person that can abduct you. There's no person that can hit you. There's no, I know stories of demons possessing people who try to punch, you know, the person delivering them and an angel catches a fist in midair and throws it back, you know, and the demon gets up and tries again and the angel like catches it again and throws it back, you know, like it's just, there's, there's nothing, there's literally nothing. Oh, Bob Johnson years ago told this story where he was on the streets, Bob Johnson used to speak here, Bill Johnson's little brother, he's evangelizing on the streets of San Francisco, and there's a lot of demonized people there. And he tells a story once where he's, um, he's on the streets, he's, he's, he's uh, doing outreach, and suddenly a homeless guy gets demonized and runs up to him to attack him, and, and the guy's like running at him, and he like is you know, getting ready to punch him, and, and Bob's getting ready to punch him back, you know, because he's a big guy, he's not small, he's like 6'5", or something like that, and he's He's big, and so he's getting ready to punch the guy back. And as he's getting ready to punch the guy, his angel steps out in front of him and punches the guy first. And then the, the guy, like, you know, falls back. And he's like, okay, <laughs> all right, I guess somebody's got this. You are entirely safe in God. And there's no weapon that has ever been formed against you that can prosper. And Jesus, when he won on the cross, also defeated everything that comes against you in this life. And in order to prosper in him, you have to not just sing and dance about how Jesus rose from the grave and is taking you to heaven. But you have to believe that he has victory over everything in this life. Over the governor, over the mayor, over the president, over the police, over the CIA. There's some Christians are just like crazy. Like they think that like there's a million conspiracies like all of the time, all against them. Oh, there's a secret cult over here. Oh, the CIA is spying on me. Oh, my webcam is being hacked. And so you got, you know, got to cover it. And it's just like everything is there's invasions of privacy. And Amazon's trying to get into my house. That, you know, and Apple's trying to get into my house. And that's what Siri is. It's a spying device. It, it's, it's, I don't know if those things are real or false. What I do know is that Jesus disarmed every strategy and every weapon that is coming against you. And if it's been disarmed, then you have to stop fearing it. That's my point. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying there's no secret cults and there's no scheme and there's no, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Like, you know, I'm sure some of those things are real and some are exaggerated. That's not the point. The point is that we live this life completely confident in God's ability to disarm, in God's ability to have victory, and in our ability to enjoy it with him. That's what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. Of course he saved you. Of course he washed your, your sins away. Of course he covered you with the power of his blood. Of course there's healing. Of course. But more importantly than that, he has overcome everything that opposes you and comes against you. And every time that you may fear in this life, every time that you may fear inferior to or doubt the victory of Christ, you, you have to just go back to this. You have to go back to the fact that Jesus exposed and openly, openly, openly exposed and put to shame every power. And when you're walking down the street all alone late at night, I don't want you to be like, oh my God, it's not safe. I'm glad I have my pepper spray. <laughs> you just declare in Jesus' name that he has disarmed every power that comes against you in the name of Jesus. Every single one. Every single one. And when you feel like your webcam is being hacked, or your identity may be stolen, or someone may just shoot you, <laughs> you just need to remember that he has disarmed every single thing. So today, of course, I want to celebrate his resurrection, his life, but I want, I want to just pray as we worship, ask the Holy Spirit to come and to free you from every fear and from every defeat in your life. 
because that's not the legacy that he's left behind. It's not the promise he's given to us. And I want to encourage you to walk out of this place today full of his victory, full of his confidence that he is victor and because he is, so are you. All right, why don't you stand? Let's pray. I'm going to have Emily come and lead us in worship here and whoever else is supposed to come. Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. We believe, O Lord, that you washed our sins away. We believe, O Lord, that you redeemed us by the power of your blood. We believe, O Lord, that we've been made set free in your name. And we believe, O Lord, that you are victorious. And because you are victorious, so are we. So are we. Now, right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle into this room and that you expose in our hearts, everywhere in our hearts, where we fail to believe in your victory. Everywhere in our hearts where we have not fully believed and placed our faith in your victory. Lord, you have disarmed every power, every principality. You have disarmed every accusation, every condemnation, and the effects of sin. You have disarmed death. You have disarmed the grave. You have disarmed sickness. You have disarmed failure. You have disarmed anxiety. You have disarmed violence. You have disarmed greed. You have disarmed hatred. You have disarmed anger. You have disarmed jealousy, O Lord. You have disarmed suicidal thoughts and the power of depression over us in Jesus' name. You have disarmed every trap that we may fall into, every ambush that may come against us, every scheme of the enemy against us. You've disarmed the power of poverty over our lives. You have disarmed every closed door in Jesus' name. There is no lock that you cannot open. There is no hindrance that you will not remove in the name of Jesus. There is no stronghold that you will not tear down in the name of Jesus. You have given us weapons of warfare that can tear down strongholds. We know it in the name of Jesus. Tears down strongholds in our lives, in the lives of the people next to us, in the campuses where we are at, in the workplaces where we, where we work, in the cities where we live, in the places where we minister. You've given us the power, O oh Lord, to tear down every stronghold, to disarm every power of the enemy, to destroy all of their work in Jesus' name. Today, O oh Lord, I pray, as it is prophesied in Isaiah 61, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would set free the captives in Jesus' name. Every sickness in this place in Jesus' name, I say to you that you have been disarmed in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. There is no sickness that may prosper in this church. Because Jesus has disarmed you in the name of Jesus. There is no stronghold that may exist in this church. Because we tear you down in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood. There is no trap in anyone's mind, in anyone's soul, in anyone's emotions, in anyone's will that has a right to stand in Jesus' name. If it exists in you, hand it over today in Jesus' name. But we declare freedom. We declare victory of the cross in Jesus' name. We declare that every strategy and every scheme and every accusation against you has no power in the name of Jesus. It's powerless. It falls to the ground. And the enemy that has come against you is paraded before all the angels of heaven in open shame because of the utter defeats. And in your life, in your life, by the power of the name of Jesus, I declare that you will experience the victory of the cross. That you will experience the victory of the cross. That you will experience the victory of the cross. We pray, O oh Lord, for the victory and the life of the cross to fall upon us today. Thank you. 
that all this is available freely in you, Lord. We humble ourselves. We're grateful for you. Give glory and thanks.